0: Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for another day to serve you. Thank, thank you, thank you, Father, that you woke us up and gave us breath this morning. I ask you, God, Lord, that you will give us vision, allow us to see what you have for us to do today. And God, I pray, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear what you're saying. I pray, Lord, that you will remove me completely, God, out of the way and speak through me. I ask, God, Lord, that you will teach this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So our book, I'm just gonna read it real quick and then I'm gonna get into the word. Our book says this, the important practical issue in Hebrews 6, 6 is the meaning of fall away. Can a believer fall away without knowing it in the course of backsliding or must a believer decide to reject Christ even as he or she once chose to receive him? What exactly is the writer of Hebrews trying to communicate? I'm we'll to skip on down. And then it says this, Hebrews acknowledges in Hebrews 12 verse one, what each of us know is true. Genuine believers do sin. We do sin, but without falling away. The act of falling away is not a matter of how often or how many different ways one sins. Thank you, Jesus. Falling away in Hebrews refers to apostasy. The full continuous denial of Christ as Lord and Savior by those who once trusted and obeyed in him. Apostasy, that's just a scary sounding word, apostasy. Kind of sounds like apocalypse, you know? Dum-dum-dum. But the fact is, is it is dum-dum-dum. That's that's a bad word. What we don't want to find ourselves in at all. What is apostasy? I'm gonna start with just our generic Google definition. Apostasy, abandonment of one's religious faith, a political party, or one's principles, or a cause. An abandonment of what one has voluntarily professed. I thought that was interesting. An abandonment of what one has voluntarily professed. Not you were made to profess it, but voluntarily you professed it. A total desertion of departure from one's faith, principles, or party, especially the renunciation of religious faith. Now, in Strong's Concordance, apostasy, which is really interesting in the Greek, it's Greek 646. Find that kind of interesting. What is six? The number of man. There's two sixes in there. Kind of stands out a little bit. Real interesting to me. But it says this. Let me find it here. Strong 646 matches the Greek, and it's used in two different verses. And the definition of it is this. Basically what it says. A falling away. To forsake. When it is used because it's also used back in Hebrews 3, verse 12. I'll get to that in a minute. Falling away again, but in that instance, it's used as a verb. In this instance, in chapter six, it's used as a noun. So there is a falling away and there is a verb and there's a noun of falling away, interestingly enough. Man, I never liked English in high school, but it's pretty, pretty interesting now to so, you know the difference in a verb, in action, and then a noun, person, place, or thing, right? It's interesting because now that actually helps us understand what the Word is trying to say to us. Amen? All right, here we go. Let's get in the Word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And the interesting thing is, is it starts, you know, as I've said before, my Bible is broke down where it gives different segments a header. Well, this segment it says, warning against apostasy. Verse 11 says, about this we have much to say. (laughs) That's how the writer starts out about apostasy. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have all become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he or she is a child. Verse 14, this is good. But solid food is for the mature. The key is for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I just wanna say that last half again. It says, trained by constant practice. The author of Hebrews is telling us, how do we get discernment? How do we become mature in the word of God? What do we have to do? We have to be trained by constant practice. That means constantly praying, constantly staying in the word, constantly seeking and Searching, because when you constantly seek, when you constantly search, when you constantly ask, the Bible says, knock in what? It shall be open to you. That means knowledge in everything, right? So let's move on into chapter six, verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go to onto maturity. Not again, laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those are the basics, is what the writer, the author of Hebrews, is saying. Those, those are our basic foundations. We shouldn't be stuck on those. Verse three says, "In this we will do if God permits." Now here's where we get into the warning of apostasy. Four, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. And interesting that it starts verse six by saying, and then have fallen away, speaking to the man, the man, the woman not the spirit, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God, very interesting four words, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And then we have a quick little parable in verses seven and eight. It says this, for the land that that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, what happens? It receives a blessing from God. But then in verse eight, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. I underline one word in verse eight, which, I, which just jumped out at me and says, and near to being cursed and its end to be burned. Near, it didn't say it was there yet, but it said it was near because it wasn't bearing fruit, which tells me there was still a chance, right? There? Now we get to go on to the good part, all right? Now we have the warning, now let's go on to the good part, verse nine. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope to the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The key verse there is verse 11, and we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness. I love this part, to have full assurance of hope, full assurance of hope until the end. So what's that telling me? We can have full hope of assuredness to the end, which means we don't have to worry about our salvation if we are mature in the Word and are doing what it says to do, by practice, by seeking, as it said earlier. So let's get into individual apostasy. What is individual apostasy? Let, let, let's dive into it so we can see what it is. So what? We can avoid it, right? Let's avoid apostasy. You see back here in chapter three, verse 12 of Hebrews, I'm gonna read that first and then I'll I'll get into more detail. It says, take care brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He he says there, the author says there, take care of brothers, brothers and sisters. He's not talking to the unbeliever. He's talking to the believers. He's saying, hey, take heart, take heart here, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving spirit. I'm just gonna say this and move on. Yes, you can have an evil and unbelieving spirit and still sit in church every Sunday. It can happen. We'll get more to that later. Here in Hebrews 3.12, it is is used. Remember how I said apostasy is a noun and a verb. See in 3.12 here, it's used as a verb. The Greek term literally means standing away from God. And it relates to spiritual rebellion, abandonment, withdrawal, or turning from what one has previously believed and experienced with Christ. Experience in a relationship with Christ. It typically involves denying a once sincere faith, disowning, abandoning the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church. Although some have turned their backs on a relationship with Christ, may still pretend to be a part of the church. Apostasy is the consequence of a willing and deliberate choice to fall away from a living God. That's what apostasy is. Well, how can somebody sit in the middle of church and be suffering in apostasy? You see, in fact, apostasy may involve two separate but related stages of rejection. Two separate but related stages of rejection, okay? There's two stages. One, a theological apostasy. That's a big one. That's a big one. And unfortunately, in today's day and age, it's an easy one that people fall into a theological apostasy, which is a rejection of all or some of the original teachings of Christ and those used by, used by God to write his word. Y'all, we see that a lot today. We see apostasy on major channels of major preaching constantly. Well, how can you say that, John? Because it is a breaking away from the word and not saying what the word says. See, that's why when you go up to chapter six and it talks about, and at the end of chapter five and chapter six in Hebrews, it says to be mature. How do you be mature? By studying the word. If you're still, we need to be mature in the word for ourselves, to know the truth to know what the word says, so we can avoid apostasy, so we can avoid it. The second, the second separate but related apostasy is moral apostasy, which involves a former believer willingly breaking away from a personal relationship with Christ and becoming spiritually enslaved again to sin, and its lifestyle, to sin in its lifestyle. That's the, shall we say, the obvious apostasy, right? The obvious apostasy is one who just rejected it and left, turned their back on Christ, on the blood and everything, and just left. See, that one, that one's the obvious one, but the more dangerous one is the theological apostasy. Because the theological apostasy, you're sitting in church every Sunday still thinking you're going to heaven when you're not. That's dangerous, that's scary. We've all seen the uh, second coming movies. Did anybody see the ones that came out back in the 80s or 70s or whatever they were? I mean, I had nightmares. If I watched it today, I'd still have nightmares. Man, I had to watch that when I was a kid. I don't know if I, okay, listen, don't wait. go ahead and watch them, but you don't have nightmares. All I saw was a guillotine, wah-pow, wah-pow, taking people's heads off. If I close my eyes, I still see them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but the thing is, is what sticks out to all of these second coming movies that we've seen, what hurts me the most, is when the people come running into the church and the church starts filling up of people Who sat in the church hearing the word week after week after week and missed it? Is that scary? Yes, it is. And it should be as a warning to dig into the word, to know what the word says. Last Sunday, I preached out of Matthew chapter 25 up in Kentucky. And it's a parable. It's a parable we've all heard. It's about the 10 virgins. You know, five were ready, five weren't. And the interesting thing is, is if you go back to chapter 22 of Matthew, it tells another parable of a king who sent messengers out to come to the wedding feast that he was having. His messengers went out. They were rejected. He sent the messengers back out a second time and they were rejected again. But what happened the second time was very interesting. It said that the farmers went back to farming and rejected it, and the businessmen went back to doing their business, and the rebel rousers, the real bad people, they killed the messengers. That sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? There's a messenger coming, screaming, the king is coming, the bridegroom is coming. There's a wedding feast being prepared, get ready. Well, I'm too busy, I need to get back to the farm. I'm too busy, I gotta get back to my business. And so what happened? They killed the king's messengers. So the king said, okay. He sent his army out and killed those who killed his people. And then he said, "Send out messengers again and said, go to the highways and the byways and invite everybody, everybody. And so everybody that got the invitation, decided to go, went. If that's where the story ended, it'd be awesome, right? Because that's us. We're, we're a part of the everybody that get invited to the awesome wedding feast. We're, we're a part of it. But see, all those who showed up, there was one who showed up with the wrong clothes on. And the king said, "Why is this man not dressed in wedding attire?" You know what happened? He had him bound by hand, foot, and cast out into utter darkness. That's what happened. He was in the feast, he made it in the feast. He was in. But he wasn't wearing the white, the right wedding garment and was cast out. Another thing, so so then after that, the next few chapters till we get to chapter 25, Jesus talks about the second coming, the tribulation. All these things are going down in Matthew. So he's already prophesied about everything that's going to happen. And then he throws in the 10 virgin story or the, 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 the 10 bridesmaids story. Interesting, huh? What gets me is there are 10 bridesmaids. They were all invited. They were all apart. They were all in the... Club of going to the reception, shall we say? That's the way my mind thinks. They were in. But the problem was, five of them stayed ready. How did they stay ready? They put the work in to keep their oil filled. Come on, somebody. What is oil? The Holy Spirit. They kept the work in to make sure they had enough oil to keep themselves full. They put the work in but five didn't. So when they came through the streets with the torches, the shofars going off, the bridegroom's coming, everyone's excited, the party's happening. Yes! Five are ready. And then five ask, give us your oil. It wasn't theirs to give to them. So they ran out to try at the last minute to gather what oil they had, to buy new oil. But what happened? The bridegroom, the father, the groomsmen came. They picked up the bride. That's the fun part about the story. Just don't have time to go into it. But they picked up the bride and carried her like through the air, floated through the air to the wedding feast. And once they got there, The door was shut. And those five bridesmaids who didn't do their part to keep their wicks trimmed to make sure they had enough oil were left out. They were in, but they didn't do their part to keep their oil filled. They didn't do their part. So I'm begging. Let's do our part to keep our oil filled. Let's do our part not to suffer into apostasy. Well, John, what's the difference in backsliding and apostasy? Listen, we could literally sit here all day. We could have a doctorate level class that went for a year on this subject. Let's just be honest. We could, but the basicness of it is this. We have all sinned and fallen short, all of us. And just because we bow a knee and ask God to save us doesn't mean that we're still not living in a fallen world in fallen flesh and that we still have to choose right from wrong. We may choose to do the wrong thing and sin. There was only one perfect That was Jesus. That's not us. The difference in backsliding and apostasy is this, backsliding, there's that thing inside of you that's eating at you, man, I need to get back. I need to get back, I need to get back, I need to get back. If that inside of you ever stops saying I need to get back, that's where you cross from backsliding into apostasy. Does that make sense? That's why we're always encouraged to check ourselves. Hey, uh, John, that, uh, chapter six, uh, verse four through six is pretty scary scripture.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it, it basically says that, um, that once you fall away,
0: It is talking about that, yes, sir. I believe I believe that one hundred percent. It is talking about that, warning them not to go back to the old school way of sacrificing. So, the, the, if we
1: if we sin, mm-hmm. but uh, have a heart of repentance,
0: that mm-hmm. that's not uh, falling away. Um, but if you uh, correct. According to what that scripture says, that's how I interpret it. But that being said, there's always grace. See, that's why I'm saying we can can do a, a, a doctorate level thesis on this. But according to the word, once, if you have been in and you know and you have experienced everything, right? It says... In the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word and powers of the age to come. I mean, that's been involved and been involved and experienced everything, but you willingly reject it. Well, they were rejecting by going back to the old covenant. That's why you talked about how Jesus is greater than Moses, and Jesus is the greater
1: uh, Sabbath, and Jesus is
0: the greater sacrifice. Um, so do you not think that that applies for today, though? Is my question? Well, that's my question too. That's a very that scripture's used a lot and puts a lot of fear in
1: Christians. But mm-hmm. We really don't need the fear uh, because the work of the cross is greater than uh, our. We're,
0: we're unable to earn. While I agree with what you're saying there, I don't agree with what you're saying there, because the fact is, is that we should be fearful of, a great falling away. We should be. Not in the fear of constantly worrying about a respectful fear. Jack falling away, according to this, is apostasy. Right. apostasy is what the Greek word says. Right. Correct. Correct. So if you were today, walk out of here and say, I'm done with church and I'm completely rejecting everything of Christ, see what I'm saying? If you were to walk out of here and just completely say, I'm done, you have no spiritual come back to God inside of you, right? Right. Then where do you you feel what, what would happen then? You've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Father has you in his hands. Mm-hmm. So if if you're truly born again and have a spirit of God, I do believe that he would convict you of that. But what if you don't? That, yeah, that, that's completely different. Then you've come back.
1: If you truly rejected God and walked away, I don't truly believe
0: ever you'd ever come back Kind of like a, a uh, King Saul kind of a thing, where he turned his heart over to a reprobate heart and gave him a, a heart of stone to where there would never be that coming back in. Um, it says where am I at? I don't want to the I'm just it's a very scary scripture. It is a very scary scripture. They can. Because see, I'm not going to name names, i And the thing is, it, it, is, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, 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 from the point of salvation, at that point where you, were you accepted, right, we still have free will to choose how we're going to live our life, correct? correct. We still have free will to choose whether we're gonna stay in this lane and follow Christ come what may, or if we decide to turn and reject Christ, so we, we still have free will. We still have free will. There's still temptation to go opposite. There's still temptation to where we have to make sure. And like you said, it's a scary verse, right? I mean, that, that's pretty trippy scary. I agree 100%, but like to me, that means, okay, I better do my due diligence to make sure I don't go there and allow myself to completely reject. Look, I'm gonna be 100% honest with you. 100%. Everybody here has heard my testimony, correct? Has everybody in here heard my testimony? So I'm, I'm, I can skip that part. Everybody heard my testimony in the point where I challenged God, right? And what did I say? If you don't do What I'm asking here, when I do what you said to do by fasting and praying, I will curse you to the day I die and tell everyone around that you were a lie. If I would have gotten to that point, I was done. I don't believe I would have ever come back from that. But you can't tell me that when I was 16 years old at a church camp that I didn't get saved because you know why? I knew that night the peace of God had passed all understanding that I had never felt before. So... That's why I'm saying it is a scary verse, but that's why we have to be very careful not to go down the path of actively refusing but this God. Looks like it looks rejecting Christ for another form of justification, for another way
1: to get to God, rather than accepting Christ in his way, which is the narrow way. hmm
0: So then, that would make what we that would make the definition of an apostasy that I'm talking about worse than that, because they're going back to try to find God another way. Right. And that's so, so they're trying to find God through another way that isn't right. right. This way, I've actively just said I'm done with God. I don't want anything to do with him. So that way is worse than <laughs> you see what I'm saying. So, like, if I just make the decision, I'm totally done with God and I don't want nothing to do with him. I'm not seeking God through another way. I'm like, I'm done. This, they were wrong in trying to seek God through the Old Testament ways again, right? Because you, you, can't, you can't offer sacrifices again once Jesus did the work of the cross, right? So if they were trying to do that, they were still wrong in doing that and they would not find God that way. So the warning is very clear there. But that warning still applies to if you completely reject God and have nothing to do with him here. Sir? Sir? Did mm. everybody hear that? Everybody, everybody hear that, idol worship? So, see, man, I love Sunday school, y'all. This is all right. Moses is your idol or sin is your idol. What, whatever is your idol, you're going back to that. You're actively rejecting what was done on the cross and putting your faith in something that is inerrant that cannot actually save you. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Uh, uh, Mm -mm. Correct. Correct. Yes. Correct. Like like I said in the beginning, we all sin, right? Backsliding. The difference in backsliding and apostasy is when you backslide, you still have that, that, that come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. But when you cross over, into apostasy is when you lose that inner voice that says, that's the Holy right, that's once the Holy Spirit, and it says in my study notes, some who reject their faith and abandon a true relationship with God, as it says in Chapter 3, verse 12 and 6:6, six, six, may still think they are Christians. However, their spiritual neglect and unconcern toward the demand of Christ, the inner voice, the Holy Spirit, and the warnings of Scripture prove that they are in rebellion against God. So they're ignoring that, right? Ignoring it. Because of this possibility of self-deception, Paul urges in 2 Corinthians 13:5, all those claiming to be spiritually saved to what? Examine yourself, examine yourself. So I'm saying this, if you were, if, if you had that inner voice inside saying, God, I, I don't wanna fail you, please check me, please check me, please check me, that's good. But if you're out here living in the world and you don't have a please check me inside of you, and you're cool with going out and doing everything that you know to be morally and ethically completely wrong, there's a problem. There's no longer a Holy Spirit inside of you saying, turn and come back. So that's the difference in the backsliding into apostasy. Yes, sir. I don't know
1: if I could have my voice real far, but in Romans 7, I think it's like 18 or 19, Paul calls it the willingness to do what's right. Mm-hmm.
0: don't want to do that's what I do right
1: things that I hate I do them the things I want to do I don't do them correct and then he says but the willingness to do them is within me right. but so therefore if I do the things that I should not do it is not I sin but sin within me mm-hmm. it's a I, so I, I just want to like give a first context for what you're talking about yes sir
0: Man, this is awesome Sunday school. Oh, of course, sir. Just that verse like N- the scary which which is why it's it's hard to stand up here and want to teach that verse. Yes. And it's out of reverence
1: from God, where the fear comes in. Right. Not a lot of people have taught it. The priests from a fear factor. Correct. Yes, exactly. It's not used as a tool to put me under duress. Right. And that's the line that we have to look at. And what happens is, then people think, well, because I was put under duress, then there's, no, you you willfully and chose to walk away from that. Let's not put people under duress from that. Mm-mm. You have to have that reverence. Mm -hmm.
0: But when it's not there. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. So I'm sitting listening to this and going, That scripture is scary Mm -hmm. because I spent thirteen years Mm -hmm. questioning if God was even believed. So I was raised biblically
1: going to say the whole bit for thirteen years. I wasn't sure Mm if what I had been raised to believe was true. Right. I right say it's not real, I just don't know what how I feel Right. So thirteen years doing that, so if you look at that scripture at face value, mm-hmm. I there's no point in saying here mm-hmm. because I'm I'm done. I walked away for thirteen years. But I think to me that scripture speaks more to the you can't say once saved, always saved. Because if I had stayed in that, mm-hmm. I'm not saved just because I was at one point.
0: But the Lord drew me back. Yes, ma'am. And see, the interesting thing about your testimony is this, is that you still had enough reverence inside of you not to blaspheme. The difference would have been if you would have crossed over and said, Oh now. I a Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You the word, it was how you were to Right. Right. I was sitting in Shreveport, Louisiana when my mom died, right? My world had crashed. And literally, I was like, everything I've been taught as a kid, I don't know if it's real or not. I, I questioned it. Because why? I had a head knowledge, but I had no heart knowledge, as, as we've talked about before. I'm like, because, okay, then, then, then I started really dig, digging in and questioning. I'm like, okay, I know, I, I've been to Israel I've been to the garden tomb, but they also say that's not where he was. It was in some other place. There, there, there was no stamp of this is exactly where it happened. This is how my mind went. But okay, so so we have a place where Muhammad was. We have a place where Buddha is. We have, we have all of this, but how, how, how do I know that I know? You know, th- those same questions, I'm like, I've studied this my whole life, but I had a head knowledge and not a full heart knowledge. But I never... Crossed that line of saying, I totally reject you. Even at the point where I was like on the verge of totally rejecting, I said, I'm going to give you one more chance (laughs) in my stupidity. And God said, cool, watch this. Right. Wow. but, um... But you still had a heart that was stirring inside there. Mm-hmm. So I did have to make a choice. To come back. Yes. Yes. 100%. And you know, that, that's how I was raised. Once saved always saved. But the more I study through scripture and see time after time after time after time, uh-uh, because we still have a we still have we still have a choice to make. That's why that's why that teaching and preaching that Pastor Amanda preached on is so important is we haven't been saved when we bow a knee. We are being saved because it's a conscious choice to every day walk out our salvation and work it out with what? Fear and trembling. So the thing that that, those verses are scary, that's cool. (laughs) That's a good thing (laughs) because fear and trembling. All right, God, I don't want to do this. Right, right? So we we don't want to get to that point. We don't want to get to the point. Old Testament example. We're going over, but it's cool. Hi, welcome everybody who's in, who just came in. Sweet. Old Testament example is David. Let's talk about David for just a second, right? David, we'll just use the big sin. (laughs) We'll We'll just call the big sin out that he did. He had an affair. Not only did he have an affair, he got the lady pregnant. But then not only did he have an affair and the lady was pregnant, then he murdered her husband. I mean, he just, he just whammed all of it, right? I mean, he, he went for it. But then the prophet came. Then the prophet came. And the prophet laid out a story And it made David angry, right? I'll do this. And I'll do, and I'm not going to quote it because I can't remember exactly what he said, so I don't want to (laughs) be called a heretic. But basically, he said, I would take his life and I would blah, 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 right? And then what happened? The prophet looked at David in the eyes. King David, the prophet, King David, had full authority to kill the man if he wanted to. We see in the Old Testament where it happened a bunch, right? The prophet looked him dead in the eyes and said, you are that man. So at that point, there was a fork in the road. David had a choice to go one way and double down and kill the prophet or choose repentance and we know what he did. Now, (laughs) man, we're late. Now, does that mean that David was absolved from the punishment of what had happened to him? No, unfortunately not. He had, he lost four sons. He was punished and judged for his sin, but yet he still turned and went the right way. And God said, David is a man after my own heart. Why? Because of the repentance inside of him. That's an Old Testament example of what we're talking about here. I would say, if we want to put it in New Testament terms, David backslid when he did that, didn't he? (laughs) I, I would say that. But then when confronted with the sin, he still had something inside of him to where he repented to where he repented, right? I love it. Thank you. And I hope everybody got something out of this as well. The thing is, is that there's a lot of hard scripture in here. There's a lot of hard scripture in here. And the problem is most people in our churches today do not want to teach the hard scripture. You know why? Why? because they don't want to sit here and have a friendly discussion about different points of view. They're scared of it. Because, man, my brother here might get mad at me. He's going to leave and he's going to take his tithe and everything with him. Or Elder Jeff, man, he done, he gone, peace out. You, You know what I'm saying? But instead of trying to come together as the body and iron sharpening iron and getting better at this thing together, and figuring it out, we just don't wanna talk about it. Elder Jeff sent me something this week. Y'all, I'm sorry, but I, I know we're late. But Elder Jeff sent me something this week that is funny, but disturbing. We live in an age of technology, correct? We live in an age now of AI, this artificial intelligence, who knew? I can't believe that these movie people got an inside track on all this stuff, right? This AI thing, correct me if I'm wrong, I may get this story fully wrong, but I believe somebody had said, talked about Jesus flipping the tables when he went in to the temple to flip the tables and, and, and asked AI to give me an interpretation of flipping the tables. You know what AI showed as an interpretation of flipping the tables? Jesus doing a backflip over a table in a temple. To those of us, that's funny. But can you believe somebody doing a Google search and not knowing the word fully and that's the representation they get? Jesus just did a backflip over the table? That's scary to think of. So, again, that's why having discussions like this on very important topics is important because if we don't discuss it, if we don't get into the middle of it, We will be led astray, easily. That's why we have to discuss the hard stuff, amen? Welcome everybody coming in. We'll start church in about eight minutes. Father, thank you for today. We praise you and we pray, Lord, that this service will continue, Father, to change lives. Lord, I pray for those who are coming in now. I pray, God, that you'll bless them. I ask, Father, God, that there will be healings, miracles, signs, and wonders in this service. I pray, Lord, that the hurting will be set free today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.